We're going to continue our series called Great Expectations. Great Expectations is a study in the Old Testament and examining how the Old Testament points to Jesus. And we're headed into the holiday season. And so in December, churches all over the world are going to talk about the story of the birth of Christ. We're probably going to touch on that a little bit here in the next couple of weeks. But I want to focus on the signs and the prophecy and the different stories and the different people that are pointing to uh, the coming Messiah. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is inspired by uh, David Limbaugh's book. It's called The Emmaus Code, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. So you're going to hear some quotes and a couple references to some things that I read in that book. And I recommend that you get that book and you read it because it's amazing. But if you uh, have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to jump around a little bit today. But I want you to follow along on the app. If you have the YouVersion app, you can go to uncommonoc.info and click on bulletin, or you can just go to YouVersion, click on events, and find Uncommon Church. But the title of this sermon is A Father's Love. That'll make more sense later. But today we're talking about Abraham. We're going to start in the New Testament because it's all related. If you were here last week, we talked about how the Old Testament and the New Testament are one story. It's all one big story, and so a lot of people look at it as two different stories or two different messages, but it's one cohesive message. And so even though we're talking about Abraham today, we're gonna start in Acts chapter three, verses 24 through 26. And this is Peter's second sermon, right after Jesus was ascended back to heaven and he was uh, the new church. All the the apostles were starting this new movement called Christianity. He gave a sermon to a lot of people that wanted to know what was going on. And in it, he said this, starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of these prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all families on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, Jesus, He sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. So in one of the very first sermons that Peter talked about Jesus, he referenced Abraham. He referenced God's covenant and his promise to Abraham and to their ancestors. And we talked about covenants last week. What is a covenant? It's a promise. It's a binding agreement. It's a pact between two parties. And God had made a pact and an agreement with Abraham, and also with Noah, and with Adam, and with Moses, and David, and we're going to cover all those different covenants, but what I want you to remember is that even in the New Testament, they're still referencing Abraham because, again, all the stories are connected. So just who is Abraham? First of all, his name was Abram. Abram means high father or exalted father. So why was he so special? What did he do to earn God's grace and God's favor? Nothing. He was nobody, really. If you look at Genesis chapter 11, they give a whole genealogy of who was his father and his sons and his fathers and his sons, and they say, and Abram. He's just thrown in there. He didn't do anything to earn this favor. He didn't do anything magical or or, uh, remarkable. He was just a guy. He was a descendant of Noah, a descendant of Shem, which means he was a Hebrew, he was an Israelite. But he wasn't anybody special. He was just a guy. But what was special about him is what he was called to do. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, 
Leave your native country, your relatives and your, fa your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Wow, that's a pretty big promise. First of all, leave your native country, leave your relatives, leave your family, and go someplace I will show you. He didn't say go here. He said go somewhere and I will show you, which means what? Which means I have to start walking and you'll let me know when I get there. This is a faith demand request. And if you do this, if you're obedient in this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. God is promising great things for Abram. And who doesn't want to be famous? Again, I told you that Abram means high father or exalted father. God is promising that things are going to be awesome. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to have lots of kids. And you're going to be famous and you're going to bless lots of people. It's a great promise. It's a great name. A great nation. But it doesn't happen right away. Time passes and this exalted father is not a father. How can I be a great nation when I don't even have a kid? How can I have millions of descendants when I haven't had a single baby? Have you ever felt like you were made for something or like something was going to be, like something was meant to be, but it didn't happen? Like everyone in your family is great at singing, but you can't sing? Everyone in your family is real handy and can fix things, but you can't fix anything? Everybody in your family can cook, but you burn cold cereal, you know? Like, you know, when I was in junior high, I tried out for the basketball team. And I was pretty tall back then. I was probably like 5'10", but for junior high, that's pretty good. You know, 5'8", whatever. And I thought, well, I mean, obviously, a lot of people that are African-American, if you will, tend to be pretty good at sports. I was not one of them. <laughs> I looked like I should be good at basketball. I was tall. I was a lot thinner than I am now. And... Uh, I looked pretty athletic. I played flag football. I played tackle football, second string, you know. When they got tired, that's when I went in, right? I'm serious. <laughs> but my grandmother thought I was amazing, which is what every grandmother should think, right? My grandmother was like, boy, you're so tall. You could just reach up and drop it in the basket. And I was like, I'm 5'9". I'm you know, I'm not even like, it'd be different if I was 6'5 or something in junior high school. I was 5-something. And my grandmother was like, you're so tall, you could just reach up and drop it in the basket. And she was right on the eight-foot court. Man, at the eight-foot court, I was a monster. At the elementary school, they had the little court, then they had the regulations. Oh, boy, you give me the little court, it was on. <laughs> you give me the big court, not so much. My grandma thought I looked like this, but I was more like this. <laughs> what she was calling me to do looked like I should be able to do it, looked like it would be natural, but when I tried it, I was terrible. I didn't even make the first cut. It was so bad, they were saying, let's run this drill. I didn't know what the drill was. Let's do an outlet pass. What's an outlet pass? I had no idea. And when I went home and I told my mom and I told my grandma, I got cut. She's like, you go back there and tell them that you're better than that. So I did. Right? You listen to your grandma. I went back and I said, uh, coach, my grandmother says that I'm better than that. And uh, can I get another try? 
And it turned out one other kid was academically ineligible, so he let me stick around for the second cut, which was even worse, because now I have to play with other people. And now I've got to pass to other people, and I've got to dribble, and it was a nightmare. Needless to say, I did not make the team. And I was frustrated, because people expected me to be one thing, and in reality, I was something completely different. Even today, people look at me and go, man, did you play football? And I'm like, yes, and I sat the bench. <laughs> man, you play football? Sure don't. Abram got frustrated. He was promised descendants. He was promised to be a great nation. He was promised this, this fame and to be a blessing and all these descendants. God told him multiple times, more than the dust of the earth, more than the stars in the sky, descendants, 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 and he could not dribble, pass, or shoot to save his soul. As much as he tried, no heirs, not a single one. And Abram starts to get frustrated. He starts to doubt. He starts to wonder. Genesis 15, 1 through 7. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. God's reminding him who he is, what he's done, and God is telling him that I'm going to keep my promise. Hang in there, Abram. It's coming. Has anyone ever heard or believed a promise from God and you didn't quite see it happening and you just thought, I need to hang in there? It's coming. Is that easy? It's not. Abram decided to hang in there, and it still didn't happen right away. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, this is even more time has passed, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, which means God is enough. God is sufficient. God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. And at this, Abram fell down, face down on the ground, and then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And, and what's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. And this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Whew. That's a heck of a promise. What does Abraham mean? Abraham literally means father of a multitude. He was high father or exalted father. Now he is named by God father of a multitude. He didn't believe it. He still doesn't have a son, but God says, hang on. 
I'm coming through. I promise you, not only will you have a son, but you'll be the father of a multitude. I'm keeping my promise, but what's more, it's going to be even greater than what you initially thought. You're going to be the father of a multitude. Look at the stars. I promise that, and I will be with your people, and I will be their God, and kings will come from that line. And Abraham, now called Abraham, believes him. He continues, but we keep seeing this recurring theme of fear and trust. It's a lot of scripture today, because I want to give you the background before we get into the the, the application. But here's the thing. Abraham repeatedly dealt with fear. If you look at Genesis 12, 15, 17, 21, God repeatedly says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Have no fear. Abraham's traveling through terrible enemy territory. He's being stopped by kings and and, and, in Egypt and all these terrible things are happening. We're not covering all that today, but he has to continue to be brave. He has to continue to trust God. He has to continue to walk in the belief that this promise that God made is going to come to pass. Abraham is so unsure that he continues to ask God, God, are you there? God, do you hear me? God, are you still with me? God, are you on my side? God, did you you abandon me? God, did you forsake me? And God keeps coming back and saying, I'm still here, and it's still going to happen. I'm still here, and it's still going to happen. And Abraham says, well, I don't know, God. Abraham goes off and sleeps with his servant and has a child with the servant. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not it. You're going to have a child with Sarah, your wife. And Abraham keeps trying to make things happen on his own. And God keeps saying, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, be patient. It's coming. And Abraham says, well, when? How? Where? And so finally God has enough. God does something. Genesis 15, God said to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these things to him and killed them, and then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. And some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. What is this scripture talking about? Abraham says, God, are you really going to do it? And God says, yes, I'm going to do it. And he says, God, are you really going to do it? And God says, yes, I'm going to do it. God, are you really going to do it? And God says, go get these animals. Sacrifice them. Sounds like a shopping list for a witch doctor. Some goats, some eggs, some birds, some turtle doves, some cows. But Abraham knew exactly what to do with the animals. He cut them in two. He placed each opposite each other. And Abraham understood that God was telling him to get a contract ready to get a contract ready for signing. This is the Old Testament version of a contract. In those days, contracts were made by sacrificing the sacrificial cutting of the animals, and they would split the carcasses of the animals lying on the ground, and then both parties of the covenant would walk through the animal parts together, repeating the terms of the covenant. When they say in Genesis 15 that the Lord made a covenant, it literally is translated the Lord cut a covenant. That process of making a deal or making a contract required bloodshed and a sacrifice. And the symbolism was that if this is so serious, it's sealed in blood. And if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may I be like these animals? That was a serious business. So if Shane and I were going to go into business together, we'd sacrifice a lamb, stick it on two sides of a walkway, and walk through it and go, we're split at 50-50. We'll split at 50-50. We'll split at 50-50. And then if one of us doesn't, right? You made a deal with me. 
Everybody heard it. Everybody saw us walking. They heard us chanting. They saw it. They know what the deal is. You didn't hold up your end of the deal. May you be like these animals. It's funny, but it's true. You know what's even weirder is this symbolism, this imagery carried over into modern day. Anybody here married? You married? Married people? What happens at a wedding, Shane? We split it on two sides. We walk down the middle and we talk about what the terms of the covenant are. We promise and make vows to each other. Hold me to this. I'm saying this publicly. I'm making a declaration. I'm making a promise. And all you people here that are witnessing are holding me to this promise. Do you think this is an accident? This goes way back to Abraham. Now, just like Genesis 15. It's a bad joke. <laughs> I can't even get to it. If you mess up this marriage covenant, there will be blood. There will be lawyers, vultures, that'll come and try to pick the carcass. Sorry. Make no mistake about it, when Abram had his doubts and he wanted assurance from the Lord, God says plain and clear, you don't believe me? Let's sign a contract. Bring the animals. Do the job. Set it up. Let's make this deal. Let's sign you don't believe that I'm going to deliver? Let's sign it. Let's make it official. Genesis 15, 12 through 21. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. <laughs> After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the, and there's a whole lot of ites in there. I just put ites for the sake of time and space. <laughs> What's the takeaway here? God is working to build Abraham's faith. God is doing all he can to instill confidence in Abraham and to make him believe that he will fulfill his promise. God is chasing after Abraham with reminders, promising him, and even showing him by signing a literal contract, a, a, an understanding of a contract, a verbal contract, a physical contract with him, promising that he's going to keep his word. And just like we talked about last week with Noah's covenant, the only thing that Abraham has to do is what? Nothing. Yes, Abraham is blessed because of his obedience. He's wealthy, he has land, but God made this oath and this promise to Abraham, but it was based on his vision and his plan for all mankind. Let me explain. Actually, we'll let the author of Hebrews explain. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 19. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham, and since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. Notice Abraham was asleep. He couldn't walk through the covenant carcasses, if you will, and make his declaration. Abraham was knocked out. God walked it together by himself. God walked it by himself. They didn't walk it together. God did it alone. Don't lose that significance. God said, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. And God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly clear, perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. 
So God has given both his promise and his oath, and these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. This covenant with Abraham is a promise that God said, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to do it. And to show you I'm going to do it, let's sign a contract. Uh Uh-uh. You're not in this with me. I'm doing it myself because this is my plan. This is my design. This is my effort. You're my chosen person to carry it out, but this is what I have decided to do. In Genesis 21, we see that God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. It says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this happened at just the time God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Wow. Yeah. So finally, Abraham is a father. What Abraham doesn't know is that he's the father of many nations. God said it. God promised it. What Abraham doesn't know is coming is this. We have Abraham, who has Isaac, who then has Jacob, who then has Judah, who then has David, and from David's line we have Jesus. So just like last week we talked about Noah, how God's destroying the earth, he still had Shem on the ark. Shem was the the ancestor of Abraham. Shem was the ancestor of David. Shem, God, as he destroyed, had a plan for redemption, and the plan for redemption was right there in the midst of destruction. Abraham is part of a plan. He's a piece to a puzzle. He's a means to an end. Now, the title of this sermon is A Father's Love. we got to talk about Isaac. And the most famous story you probably heard of in Sunday school that might have freaked you out a little bit, where you're like, wait a second, he was supposed to sacrifice his son? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Genesis 22. It's a little bit long. I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can in the interest of time. Most of you know this story, but I want to point out a couple key things. Sometime later, whoa, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants along with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. 
Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba where Abraham continued to live. You've all heard that story before, right? I've heard it a few times. I want to point out a couple things. There are illustrations here. This is the picture of what was going to happen with Jesus. I want you to think about something. This was hard writing this, thinking about this, coming up with this, because I imagined myself in Abraham's place with my son. I talked to Shane about it before sermon, before, before service. He got a little choked up because he's like, I'm about to have a son. It doesn't talk about his emotional state. It doesn't talk about how Abraham felt. It doesn't say how Isaac felt. It just gives us the facts. But I want to point out a couple of things that you might have missed. Number one, Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. Do we know anybody else who carried some wood up a mountain? Where is the offering, his son says? Who's going to be the sacrifice? After God stops him from killing Isaac, he says, you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Your only son. I'm going to move on because I want you to get something. Look at how willing and obedient Isaac is. Isaac didn't run. He didn't fight his father. His father didn't have to subdue him. Imagine your son. Imagine any, any person for that matter. Tim, I'm going to tie you up and put you on an altar. It's not going to go well. Tim's going to fight me to the death. What did Isaac do? Isaac was obedient. He trusts his father so much that he's willing to lay down his life in obedience. But God says no. And God stops Abraham before Isaac could make that ultimate sacrifice because that wasn't Isaac's job. That was not Isaac's purpose. That was not Isaac's mission. That was Jesus' mission. God is showing us what's to come. He's showing us this model of sacrifice or substitutionary atonement that we could be here all day just on that. But what I want you to get is I imagine, I want you to imagine how any parent would feel with the prospect of losing your son. If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But imagine what it would take for you to go through with this sacrifice, the faith and the obedience and the willingness. Now, we can talk hypothetically about how we might feel to lose our sons, but we had a shooting this week and people lost their sons and their daughters. I call this sermon of father's love and I want to show you this video of a father who just lost his son. 
after shooting in Thousand Oaks. Shane. Play that just to tug at your heartstrings. I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. What would it take for you to willingly sacrifice your son? How much love would you have to have? How much obedience would you have to have? How much faith would you have to have to go through with that and cause yourself that kind of pain? What would you have to believe? to be willingly sacrificed as Isaac was willing to be? How much love and faith in your father would you have to have to lay down and say, it's okay, Dad. I trust you. I trust you. And for you as a father to look down at this child that you've cared for, that you prayed for, that you loved and you wanted and say, I'm going to take your life because that's what he's telling me to do. That's a faith and an obedience that I don't understand. And Isaac's obedience is something that I don't understand. How do you lay down on an altar and say, it's okay, Dad. I trust you and I trust God. I don't show that video because I want you to get sad and feel sorry for this man. I think everybody can feel sympathy for this man. But I also want to illustrate the horrible things that happen in this world that happened this week, that happened last week, that happened last month, that happened last year. If you were here last week, we talked about the destruction of the earth because God said we were wicked. God knew what we deserved. We deserved destruction like what he did in Noah's time, but even as he was destroying, God had a plan for our redemption, and that plan was for someone to sacrifice himself for you. A descendant of Noah's son, Shem. A descendant of Abraham. A descendant of Judah. A descendant of David. God's plan was Jesus. Why? Because this is who we are. Shane, put it up. Some of you might be thinking, well, I would never shoot up a nightclub. I hope you wouldn't. But we live in a fallen world a world of wickedness, of depravity, whatever you want to call it, this is who we have the potential to be. This is the kind of wickedness that God looked down and said, I'm going to wipe it all out. But if you remember at the end of the Noah story, God said, I'm not going to destroy you again. I have another plan. I'm going to make a covenant. The rainbow is the sign of the covenant with Noah that he wouldn't destroy us because God had another plan to redeem us rather than to destroy us. But we do this. This is the Thousand Oaks shooting from earlier this week. One more, Shane. This is the Pittsburgh shooting from last week. We just prayed last week about the shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. This is who we are. This is who we have the potential to be. We are a sinful people. We are a wicked people. We are a fallen people. 
And no, you may not have pulled the trigger. No, you might not have anything to do with this. You might not feel like you're even capable of this kind of wickedness, but we live in a world where this is a reality. Shane, give me one more. This is the Parkland shooting in Florida. The kids killed at the school. Keep going. This is the mural of people, unarmed people, black, brown, Puerto Rican, killed by police. Keep going, Shane. This is the Pulse nightclub shooting, the gay nightclub, where our gay brothers and sisters, yes, they are our brothers and sisters, were killed at this nightclub by another maniac. One more, Shane. Las Vegas. This isn't to make you feel guilty. No, you did not kill these people, but this is the type of world that we live in where we deal with this wickedness every day, that when God looks at his creation that has now been twisted, that has now been changed, that deserves to be destroyed, he didn't say, let's destroy it. He said, let's send him a savior. We deserve destruction, but God had a different plan. He knew what we were capable of from Adam to Noah. Now to Abraham, we can see God's plan beginning to take shape. All roads lead to one person, to one event, to one sacrifice, Jesus. Ben, you can come up. Why would Abraham do this? Obedience, love, trust, reverence, respect, why would God sacrifice his son? One word, love. John 3.16. When I was a kid, I thought, can't you guys come up with a better verse? Every football game got John 3.16. Tattoos, John 3.16. But it sums it all up in a beautiful way. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. Remember, Abraham didn't withhold his son, his only son. It's the same wording, it's the same verbiage that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is the redemption. That is why we are here. That is why we are talking about this. That is why we pray. That is why we read our Bibles. That is why we share the gospel because we know, at least most of us, I hope, that this was God's plan for us. If you don't know Jesus is your Savior, I'm happy to tell you all about it. If you don't know who Jesus is, I will be happy to make an introduction, but what I want you to take away today is that the New Testament is not a separate story of some new person named Jesus. They were talking about him from the very beginning, from the garden. This is one story and it's all connected and the highlight of the story, the climax of the story, the turning point of the story is what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. A father's love. You might not think that God loves you as much as he does. I know that when I had my son 16 years ago, and I held him in my hands and I looked at him and I thought, oh my God, is this how God loves me? Is this how God loves me? That he's willing to sacrifice something as beautiful as this to save everybody else. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Isaac walked up on a hill with wood on his back, ready to lay down his life as a sacrifice. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not your job. And years later, Jesus Christ walked up a hill with wood on his back. And like Isaac, he willingly laid down his life in obedience, in trust, in love. And he cried out to the Father, God, why have you forsaken me? And God looked down and he said, this is what has to be done. This week, do not be afraid. There's a lot to be afraid of, from all these shootings to the fires in Whittier to you name it. There's so many things that can cause us to be afraid. But even just things in our own life, in our work, in our job, in our marriage, that we wonder if God is still there. God, are you keeping your promises? Like Abraham said, God, are you going to hold up your end of the deal? And God says, I will hold up my end of the deal. So do not be afraid. Trust God's plan. Trust his timing. Number two, this week I want you to thank God for his love and his willingness to sacrifice his own son. Jesus to save us from our sins. Third thing is tell someone about it. I know in my church growing up, they always say, go tell somebody about Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, fascinating, right? I'm not expecting you to go to the pier and hold a sign. But if you, I'll say it this way, when you find hope in Jesus, when you Trust him when you pray, when you lean on him, when you depend on him, when you are comforted by the Holy Spirit this week, tell somebody about it. It's not hard. Hey, Chris, how's your day going? It's been really tough, man, but I was praying earlier and I felt encouraged. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to do this. Just share your life. Because there is someone who loved you enough to lay down his life. And there is a father who loved you enough to give up his own son, his only son. God pursued Abraham. He chased after him to prove to him that he was going to hold up his end of the deal, that he had a plan and Abraham couldn't see it. It didn't happen in his lifetime, but his descendants, just like God said, were as, as many as the stars. And as he promised, there were kings in his descendants. One king in particular. So we're going to sing one more song. And then we're going to get out of here. I know this was a little heavy today. This is what God put on my heart. A father's love.